Welcome in listeners to a very special episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have a great guest joining us today, a unique guest for our show, as we have a author on today. Joining us is author John Frank Levy, whose new book, Right for the Role by John Frank Levy, as told to Drudy Roth, is now available at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com, but also check your local bookstore. You never know <laughs> what you might find, but we are excited to have him here. So John, welcome, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. So excited to have you here. Thank you, Andrew. It's a, I'm uh, grateful for the invitation and opportunity to talk to theater people in New York. Well, I am excited to talk to you and to talk about this book, right for the role that you've written. Could you tell us a little bit about it? Sure, sure. I'd be happy to. You know, during the pandemic, things were very slow in my uh, casting world. And I did a podcast for a local acting teacher. Uh, after we talked for 45 minutes or so, uh, we, we, we wrapped it up and she said to me, your stories are so interesting and fun and uh, instructive to young actors and and really to other people as well you should write a book. And that's when I began to sing, if you ask me if I should write a book, <laughs> I'd probably think you were one stupid schnook, something along those tone-deaf lines. But I I met Trudy Roth, who had helped this acting teacher write a sort of branding book about her teaching style. And Trudy and I hit it off just fantastically. And she gave me an assignment to send her an email at least once a day, of memories of my long career in casting in television, which has included a, a lot of very successful shows. I did my part. Other people contributed, of course. When I started working with Trudy, I knew I had a lot of stories, you know, from all these years of working with actors and directors and writers and producers, studios and networks. But I didn't really know what the through line would be, what the spine was, what the book would be about. But I discovered with Trudy's enormous contribution that the book is about finding the role you're right for. I was a director in the theater for many years, college and afterwards, and here in Los Angeles as well. And I loved that part of my life, but I was married at the time and had a son and a daughter on the way and I needed to make a more reliable living and got into casting and I found that it was the role that I was right for it was the place where my the combination of my skills and assets and deficits for that matter were useful and 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 then the book really became about that journey that we're all on of finding ourselves so that we can find where we belong, what our community is, and how best to become a respectful collaborator. And and that, you know, every actor I've ever known would like to be right for every role. And so it's kind of a pun. Uh, actors want to be right for the role, but we all need to find the role that we're right for on our journey to growth and change. Oh, I love that. So what was it like 
developing and putting this book together? Well, you know, we, we started to meet, Trudy and I, in my backyard with masks on, sitting at the end ends of a long table like we were rich people having dinner. And, you know, we, we just talked. And she's such a warm and wonderful, smart, organized person that she got me to open up. And she got me to realize that if the book was going to have any real lasting value, uh, you know, outside of sort of gossipy in behind the scenes stories about George Clooney and such that I, it had to be personal as well as professional and that I had to be willing to reveal myself and my own struggles and triumphs. And, and as we did that, Trudy also researched all of the shows that I have worked on over the long decades that I've been doing casting and television and she organized things and gave me a structural basis to work off of. And I continued to send her emails every day, more than one, often two, three, and four of memories. And, and as, as, as I pushed myself to remember more and more, new memories emerged. I'm sure I've forgotten at least twice as much as I remembered, but I remembered a lot. That's a fantastic. So you had mentioned that you started this in 2020, of course, with the lockdown and the pandemic. How long did it ultimately take you to put the book together and complete all of this? Well, something like 18 to 20 months. We had a, a manuscript before that, but we had to go through a lot of processes and to, to get it into become a, a book, a real book thing you could hold in your hand and scan with your eyes and you know at first we explored trying to get an agent to represent it in a kind of conventional a publishing way and that didn't bear fruit very quickly the agents were you know sort of like you you mentioned that you're interested in true crime i suppose if i could have added a true crime element the agents and publishers might have been interested eventually Trudy heard about this organization called Launchpad Inc. And they're halfway between a publisher and a self-publishing situation. Hmm. You pay them a fee and it's not insubstantial. And they provide a proofread, a content read, a cover designs, some advice about marketing. And they help you sort of job the Amazon system by getting uh, 50 to 75 books in the hands of people who might be interested in it. And if they write positive reviews, when you release it on Amazon, you're, you go to the top of the lists of showbiz books, or actor books, casting director books, all, all of those different categories that your book might land in, land with a bullet, so to speak because you've gotten these positive reviews. So Launchpad was very instrumental. And, and again, Trudy helped me navigate that because I can barely get on Zoom to talk to you. Well, that's fantastic. And I think for a lot of young writers and a lot of young playwrights, knowing that that exists is wonderful to know about. Yeah. As I said, it was expensive, but it was worth it. I mean, you know, We've been out for some months now, and we've had maybe, I believe the answer is six, 
six days when we haven't sold a single book. But in, oh, I think seven months, we've sold at least a book every day but six days. And, and I, I am doing a lot of promoting by talking to people like you and your community and your listeners. And, and it's fun because I get to meet other wacky members of my extended community. And I'm grateful for that. You know, I wish I had known about you in April because my dear friend in New York, Dr. Martha Rachel Gold, who has been a closet playwright for most of her adult life, I've directed two of her plays here in Los Angeles. She had a production of her most recent play at The Tank in New York. Mm -hmm. And it, it was a wonderful production. It didn't get as many audience members, and I'm sure some of that had to do with the pandemic. But if we had gotten her on your podcast, I think some of your community might have shown up down there in the West 40s, I think, or 30s, where mm -hmm. their theater is. I appreciate that praise. Andrew, I think that's one of the things that my book talks about is that, you, you know, this whole idea that we're all on a unique journey of self-discovery and maximizing our talents and skills. And how we do that is completely, we have to be open to the happy accident, as well as being able to have a plan of our own, where we use what we've learned from other people, but we also follow our own instincts. You know, I, I came to L.A., and I had in the early 70s, and I got a hold of a script, a, a play by an Israeli playwright called Joshua Sobel, called The Night of the 20th, which was about a, a bunch of Eastern European sons and daughters of affluent Eastern European people, who, and they were escaping their parents' repressive ideas about politics, about art, about sex, about life in general. And uh, they formed what was to become um, among the earliest kibbutz, communities, communes in Israel. And it, it so mirrored my time as a sort of American hippie in the 60s that it, it spoke to me. And I got to direct this play. And lo and behold, I cast a wonderful actor who's in New York, I think, now, Jeremy Lawrence. I hope he's listening. That would be a miracle. And and he happened to be in a relationship with a man who was the director of audience development at the Mark Taper Forum. And Jeremy would go home, I guess, at e in the evening and excitedly talk about the rehearsal process to Bob Schlosser. And Bob came to a preview and loved it and invited Gordon Davidson, who was the artistic director and founder of the Mark Taper Forum. And he came opening night with Jules Irving, and later offered me the NEA Director's Fellowship at the Mark Taper Forum in 1980. Please don't do the math. And, and then, of course, I'm not Representative George Santos, so I won't say I had the NEA Director's Fellowship because the woman who wrote the grants missed the deadline. But Gordon honored his commitment to me, and I spent two and a half years at the Taper working as the assistant to the main stage directors, directing readings of new plays for the staff, 
directing in their second stage uh, uh, arena. And that led eventually to my casting career. And when I got to the taper in 1980, I didn't know that there was such a thing as a casting director. And it has become my life, wow. my profession. Wow, what an incredible story. That is amazing. So I owe it all to the theater. <laughs> <laughs> what a wonderful world it is. And building on that, what is the message or thought that you're hoping that the readers will take away from your book, Right for the Role? Well, I, I, I think it's find your community, find yourself, contribute to your community with respect and with dedication and hard work. And, and as you evolve and grow and change, you'll have more to offer to your community. And if everybody in your community participates in whatever the endeavor is, it, from that same perspective, you'll enhance each other's opportunity to participate in excellence. And participating in excellence is has its own rewards. I mean, th th there are some excellent, some rewards that have to do with money and security and your children's education and their shoes. But there are also so many rewards that are, you know, at more abstract, but creative fulfillment and the, the ability to be a member of a community that cares about what they're doing, that takes the work seriously, but doesn't take themselves too seriously. It, you know, it, it's a, that whole thing that we all and your audience all knows about. Of, Let's put on a play. I'll sweep the floor and hang the lights. You, you know, do the makeup and you steal clothes from your mother's costume closet for the costumes. And, you know, that whole let's get together and do something fun and exciting and, and creative. And uh, uh, when, when you're able to do that on the level, the scale that, that say ER afforded me, 40 million people watched ER on Thursday nights at 10 o'clock. That's more people than who usually vote in a non-election year. So rounding out the first part of this interview, I, I know it kind of seems like a strange question to ask, but I'm I'm interested to know, who do you hope have access to write for the role? Well, I think the primary potential audience is young actors early on in their careers, but also anybody in the storytelling world and actually anybody in any world, also aspiring casting directors, writers, producers, directors. I think student filmmakers, you know, don't hire casting directors and they ought to, even if it's for, you know, the associate in some good office who for a hundred bucks would help you cast the four parts in your student film. I had the great experience recently of helping a young filmmaker at UCLA who happens to be the son of one of my oldest friends. And he had a wonderful film that he was casting. And he asked me if I would take a look at the auditions that he was leaning towards. And, and I did. And I, I said to him, Aaron, these people are fine, but they're not great. And I think I can help you get some great people. Let me use my 
experience and contacts. And I was able to get him the three adult leads of known actors. And the film was elevated substantially. And I, I feel great about that. At this point in my life, the the give back, and that's part of the uh, of the of the who I'm aiming at is to people to anybody who will benefit from reading the book and learn something about themselves and about the business and about and about the importance of not being lazy about your own development. We're all constantly evolving, or we should be. We can be. And, you know, sometimes we, we're tired and we, we don't do the work. Sometimes we're lazy and we don't do the work. Sometimes we're paralyzed by something and we don't do the work. But in those periods when you're active and constructive and motivated and, and you know, it, it, it's a great opportunity to contribute to success in a community and also to grow and change as a person. I want to switch gears a little bit <laughs> because we've been having such a great conversation and I feel like you've kind of already started letting our listeners get to know you a bit, but I want to allow them to get to know you a little bit more and to kick the second part of this interview off. I want to ask you what playwrights or shows or composers have inspired you in the past or are some of your favorites? Well, I, while I was at the taper, I had the glorious opportunity to be the assistant director to Jose Quintero in a production of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, which along with Waiting for Godot are the only two plays anybody really needs to read. They're both so great that you, uh, there are, I mean, streetcar, uh, Pinter's The Homecoming, Ionesco, or that early stuff, Albies, Virginia Woolf, uh, or, you know, I mean, all of those plays from my era. But but the experience of working at the taper with uh, Jose, uh, Maggie was played by the late Kirstie Alley. And I tell a story in the book uh, about the first day of rehearsal. Now, I know you were out in L.A., but LA's got great theater. And I want to know, have you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners? Well, I haven't lately because I'm still a little cautious uh, about the pandemic. Uh, although I have recently developed a relationship with a theater called the Ruskin Theater Company. John Ruskin is a Meisner teacher who also produces plays there. And I have a long relationship with Sam Anderson and Taylor Gilbert, who run a theater here in town called The Road Company, where they do a lot of new plays. Uh, I directed one of Martha Gold's plays there some years ago. And so I, I haven't seen much lately, but I, I, I still, I, I haven't, and I haven't gone to the taper since the pandemic. 
you know, it scared the shit out of me. And uh, at my age and with some health issues of my own, I just really, and it's a, it's a damn miracle. I, I never got the damn thing. And I'm so grateful for that. Bless. Good, good, good. But you're right that there is good theater here in town. There's also wonderful comedy and, and good jazz community as well as, of course, the, the Philharmonic. And I mean, you know, people who think that, uh, was it Woody Allen who said the greatest cultural achievement in Southern California is being able to turn right on a red light? <laughs> That's not quite fair or true. I mean, we, you know, when I got first got into television after my years in the theater, I kind of thought I brought a bias with me. Well, now I'm going from being an artist to being a horror. Uh, the truth is, the people I've met and worked with in the community I've been graced to be a part of is every bit as dedicated to being an artist as the people are in New York. And that that bias about television particularly is is kind of nonsense. I mean, yes, you, you know, you started off talking about a little bit about money. And yes, there is a hell of a lot more money in film and television than there is in off-Broadway theater, but ultimately we're all, it's the same group. Yeah. What is your favorite part about working in the theater? Well, I, I am afraid I'm a little redundant, but my favorite part about working in any media storytelling world is getting to know myself and getting to know you, getting to have a rich, full experience as a person, I always jokingly say, casting is falling in love and then behaving yourself. And I have had the great opportunity to fall in love professionally millions of times. And, and I've had the chance to fall in love personally under five times. <laughs> and, and so my career has provided me with this fantastic opportunity to experience life, to experience other people. And again, to grow and change, to fulfill myself. It's a wonderful answer. And it now leads me to my favorite question to ask guests. And I'm excited to hear yours because, of course, Right for the Role is full of stories about you as a casting director. But I'd still love to ask, what is your favorite theater memory? <laughs> well, one of my favorite theater memories, and it's because I'm a well, uh, I, I went and saw Hair as a teenager. And I, I was sitting next to my mother when a woman with no shirt on came. And I happened to be in an aisle seat in the orchestra. And this half-naked woman sat on my lap. I was maybe 16. So I think she had an uncomfortable seat. <laughs> but But on a more serious note, when I got to see cat on a hot tin roof realized by jose quintero and to have had a tiny small part in it uh, opening night was amazing and you know interestingly you just referenced i think you just referenced parade which is on broadway now yes yes and i i directed a, another version of that story at the taper in their new theater for now festival it was called cakewalk and it was written by two Jewish prosecutors in the L.A. DA's office. And it was about the falsely accused pencil factory man, Leo Frank. And it was also about the black janitor 
who may or may not have actually killed Mary Fagan. Interesting. Uh, and so it was a fascinating, and, and, and that, again, you know, on a personal level, I got to direct that on the main stage of an important regional theater in a big festival. And it was life-affirming, dream-actualizing. If lightning had struck me dead, I, I would have gone pretty happy. That's amazing. Well, you have the book right now, right for the role going on, but are there any other projects or productions or anything you have your hand in coming up that we might be able to plug? Well, no, not yet that we can plug, but I, I'm hoping that a television casting opportunity is just around the corner. My two great associates, Kim Wong and Tony Tamietti, are refusing to let me retire. And so we're looking for work. We are working at the moment, trying to help an independent feature get attaching two leading names to, to so that they can go out and get some funding and get a green light to make their movie. There's that. And, uh, you know, I've, I've got my hand in here and there, but my mostly my days are filled with hoping the Lakers make the playoffs and promoting right for the role. <laughs> if our listeners would like more information about right for the role or about you, perhaps they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do that? Well, I, I, I am, as I said to you, when we were first starting out, I'm an absolute Luddite. I don't understand technology particularly. Fortunately, I have people in my life who do. And one of those people helped me to get on Instagram, which, and so I am John underscore Frank underscore Levy. And it, that Levy is with the pesky second E, L-E-V-E-Y. And so you can communicate with me there. And there are lots of posts. One of my casting associates, Tony Tamietti, has been instrumental in reposting things that help to market the book. But I look at the damn thing every day. I'm afraid I'm actually sort of addicted to it now that I have become associated with it. So that's a place to find out about Right for the Role and to find out about me and about events that like this where I'm appearing and talking and getting to know uh, smart, interesting people around, around the world. John, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today about this incredible book. I am looking forward to getting it right away, reading it, just divulging it. I can't wait to see the stories that you've shared and the lessons that you've also put in there. So thank you so much for chatting with us, telling us about this book and just sharing your points of view. I really appreciate it. Well, it's, it's really my pleasure, and I really appreciate the opportunity to meet you and to talk with your listeners, followers, I guess. And I, I, I just really appreciate it. it, it I, as the book has grown uh, in, in impact, I have realized what I didn't know when I started the project, which is that my experience has value and impact, potential impact on other artists who are on this fantastic voyage. And I'm grateful for that. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. My guest today has been the author, John Frank Levy, whose new book, Write for the Role by John Frank Levy, as told by Trudy Roth, is now on sale. 
you can get it at amazon.com or barnesnoble.com or check your local bookstore. And if they don't have it, you better tell them to get it. You can also follow John on Instagram at John underscore Frank underscore Levy. And you can reach out to him or check out all that he's up to there. And we'll have all this information posted on our episode description, as well as on our social media. I'm looking forward to reading Right for the Role. I hope you do as well. And maybe we all can chat about it, but check out the book right away. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep your masks on, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.